Welcome to ClinFarm Pod. I'm Elena Webster, Deputy Managing Editor for the ASCPT family of journals. My guest today is Dr. Diane Stevenson, Executive Director at Critical Path Institute. Diane, welcome to the podcast. It's great to have you here. Thank you so much. I'm very pleased to be invited to join this podcast today. So you and your co-authors, Cecile Olivier, Roberta Brenton, and Jeffrey Barrett recently published a review in the Clinical Pharmacology and Therapeutics April 2022 themed issue, Therapeutics and Neuroscience. Your paper is titled, Can Innovative Trial Designs in Orphan Diseases Drive Advancement of Treatments for Common Neurological Diseases? And a link to the open access publication will be available in the description of this episode. Diane, can you give me a brief synopsis of your paper and why you want it to be included in the themed issue on neuroscience? Absolutely. What an exciting time to be asked to uh, con- contribute this review to, to this special issue. And, um, you know, from my lens, having been in neuroscience for my whole career, uh, it's phenomenal to see the progress in advancing in drug approvals, particularly for rare diseases. These are conditions that when I was in industry, very little interest at all in industry. There was too few of populations, too difficult to try to conduct trials. One of the many reasons I was enthusiastic to write this feature with my co-authors is because it's not that well recognized of how many drug approvals have occurred in rare diseases. And this is unheard of. It's due to many things that are highlighted in this paper, advances in science and technology. But we really want to apply those learnings, particularly in personalized medicine, to have us help get therapies to the finish line for chronic diseases of high unmet need and uh, great burden. Thank you. Regulatory agencies come up frequently in your paper. Can you walk me through the current regulatory landscape and its effects on trial design and treatments? So this is an area I'm very passionate about. And all of my career in in, uh, industry, I really never had the honor and pleasure to partner and work with regulatory agencies until I came to Critical Path Institute. I wrote this review with this perception and trying to convey of how regulatory agencies might not be perceived um, accurately, especially in the general public. They are really tasked with doing something very difficult to make sure that drugs that they review are both safe and effective. And in this review, I tried to do a good job with my co-authors at highlighting examples of what the agencies tell us is the best thing you can do. Approach them as a group of consensus collaborations, as opposed to individual organizations approaching them, share information, share data, and approach them early and often. And it's really through that lens that we've been able to see these tremendous approvals, not only in rare diseases, which is highlighted in this review, but also during COVID, which just brought an unprecedented number of challenges to the regulatory agencies in ways that have just been responded to in phenomenal ways. So I think the goal of this uh, review is to really put yourself in the perspective of the regulators and see that despite the tremendous challenges this past year has brought onto the entire globe, that they've done a phenomenal job in approving drugs and how all of that progress can help us bring more drugs to the finish line to the patients in urgent need. How does data sharing come into all of this? From a conversation that we had during the annual meeting this year, I know it's a subject you're very passionate about. <laughs> I am. So um, from my perspectives, you know, at Critical Path Institute, we're so fortunate to receive generous funding from the FDA and strong support from the EMA to share data, patient-level data that will help inform all of us in terms of risk-benefit decisions in approving new drugs. 
There are many drugs in the pipeline, but many stakeholders want some type of a roadmap or tell us the recipe, tell us exactly what I need to do to get our drug approved. But the only way to really do that successfully is to bring patient level data to the agencies. And the FDA generously funds Critical Paths Institute to do what they really can't do on their own. They don't have the bandwidth, time, or energy or resources to look beyond one drug at a time. So Critical Path Institute was founded in 2005 to deliver on Janet Woodcock's vision for the Critical Path Initiative, where data from failed clinical trials and observational cohorts can be brought together and integrated together to build these drug development tools so that any company doesn't have to try to guess what is the recipe for a biomarker? How are we going to bring our own favorite model forward? We bring this together through collaboration and data sharing. And we have a number of successes at Critical Path Institute with this model in place. We've received a lot of support from both agencies to bring data together. Our biggest barrier, to be honest, is getting all that data. It takes far too long. Individual companies clearly do so much work to bring resources and data together, but bringing that to the forefront and to the regulators is really difficult and takes a lot of time and energy and resources to do this. Thanks, Diane. You mentioned the PROACT database in your paper as a successful example of data sharing. What can you tell me about that? Right. ALS is a disease I actually started my career on, uh, gosh, 35 years ago, in fact. And um, at the time, you know, there were no treatments in the pipeline for ALS. But thanks to a lot of amazing work led by patient advocacy communities and other esteemed leaders in the field and academia and industry, there's been a lot of data put together in this PROACT database that was really one of the first examples where crowdsourcing was done to analyze data, even from people that were not experts in the field. The PROC database was put together, again, that consists of clinical trials in ALS from the past, and that data is really being used to help inform and plan trials for ALS that are ongoing and in the future. Now, this approach with PROACT is so important in a disease like ALS, where you really don't have very many patients in one study, and the patient voice is front and center to getting therapies approved. So this model and approach of PROACT is really what FDA is supporting Critical Path Institute to do. And so PROACT is just one. And at Critical Path Institute, we have a number of databases that consist of integrated data from past clinical trials and ongoing observational studies across many different diseases to do the same type of thing. How do we get the data integrated to have sample size, uh, much bigger power in big data? and have that data inform drug development tools for future trials. That's excellent. Uh, are, do you have any other possible frameworks or examples of different types of databases that you're working with? Absolutely. So at Critical Path Institute, our best examples are just to make sure that I uh, give you some accurate numbers. <laughs> Over the, the years, with generous funding from the agency, we, we have collected patient-level data from over 251 studies across 12 different disease areas. And at present, we have patient-level data from over 213 clinical patient records and over 16,000 non-clinical records from preclinical data so that we really have this end-to-end translational data approach to bring forward to the regulatory agencies to answer a number of questions that range from optimizing outcome measures to modeling tools for simulation and trial design 
to biomarkers. And those are really key to success. So the individual sponsors and especially biotech companies don't have to try to guess what success looks like as they bring their individual drugs forward for approval. It sounds like a massive undertaking, Mm -hmm. uh, but I appreciate you explaining it. So one of the things that we try to do at ASCPT and something I can tell you do from reading your paper is to keep a patient focus when discussing clinical pharmacology and translational science. Do you have any examples of how orphan drug trial initiatives have directly affected patients? It's another area that I feel so strongly about. And in fact, it's really the patient voice that drives change. We've seen that historically in diseases in such as HIV, but in the nervous system disorders. And one of the things that's highlighted in this paper that we reviewed is in diseases such as Duchenne's muscular dystrophy and ALS, it's really the patient voice that's driving change. I I will say that uh, for what I've seen in my lens is the ability to help inform patients that the agency, the regulatory agencies are on their side and initiatives such as patient-focused drug development that are really rethinking how to optimize outcome measures The tried and true outcome measures that were traditionally clinician reported are no longer truly gold standard because we really need to listen to the true experts of the disease. That's the patients themselves. So they're able to drive change in such big ways. This is happening now, even in disorders like ALS, such as Indu Navar's citizen science effort called Everything ALS, to drive how digital tools can optimize uh, clinical trials in ALS. And we're doing this in Parkinson's disease and the Critical Path for Parkinson's Consortia, where we're working in alignment with the advice from the regulatory agencies to optimize how outcome measures can be aligned with the voice of patients. That's so great to hear. So what are major factors that you consider as current barriers to data sharing and how do you think they could be addressed? Yeah, that's such a good question. (laughs) Something we talk about a lot is needing probably like a whole week workshop to unpeel the onion and figure out where are the perceived risks, right? So because my lens comes from having spent 25 years in industry, I really get that side of the equation. I understand the risks of um, sharing of data on a whole different level, having, again, spent my career in industry. But I think the world has changed. And as you know, just in the last month, there's been new requirements from the NIH themselves around open science, data sharing. We learned so much, right? It takes a long time for trials that read out to be officially published in the peer review literature but really digging in, understanding the protocols, what happened to the biomarkers is key to success because without sharing this data, what we're seeing is repeated errors, repeated mistakes, repeated problems. We're not solving those problems together. We're seeing this one one at a time. To me, to be frank, the best example of this is the review that's in the same special issue that you guys published, authored by the FDA on what it took to have amyloid PET neuroimaging accepted as a reasonably likely surrogate of outcome in Alzheimer's disease trials. And incredible to read this review because it was really thanks to not just the amazing work of ADNI, the Alzheimer's disease neuroimaging initiative that set the table for everything that what success looks like in defining a complicated biomarker for imaging amyloid in living human brain. But the FDA review really looked at five independent clinical trials and asked how that biomarker tracked with outcome. It's the best example I know of to date after many, many years in this field that looks at 
this is really what success in, in trying to say how are clinical trials going to inform what we all hope for as a surrogate. And I think we, we just need to really look hard at what are those risks and understand that the risk of not sharing is actually worse. I'm just going to be, I'm just being candid with you in my opinion there, but it's really, really important. And one of the biggest gaps, I think, going forward. I appreciate your frankness and um, dear listeners, I'm pretty sure what Diane is saying is go read that FDA review. In fact, read the whole issue, just you know, yes. take a look. And then my final question for you is what do you think data sharing could look like in the future and how can the various stakeholders in the field of clinical pharmacology advance? Well, I, you know, the term open science, the term citizen science is just music to my ears. <laughs> uh, again, years ago, I would have never even thought that those terms existed. Advances in science and technology emerge so fast. I think we really want to get everybody to get their hands on as much data as possible to optimize how that data can help inform what success looks like in the future. And I think for me, you know, Many of these disease areas just have individual experts that spent their whole career on one disease. And at Critical Path Institute, for example, in the nervous system disorders, we have five disease areas we work on. Alzheimer's disease, Huntington's, multiple sclerosis, ataxias, and Parkinson's disease. And it makes no sense to tackle each one one at a time because the challenges are very similar, right? So what success looks like in my arena are to maximize the learnings from individual disease areas that Today, we know now some of these diseases that we thought was one disease actually have common risk genes. We never would have thought that was even possible. So today, my view of success is have the patients front and center to everything we do. They will help us with urgency. Don't wait too long and maximize how all this data can help inform us more things about this disease that we ever knew because it's the patients themselves that are the true experts of their disease. I love that, that closing statement. That's such a perfect capsule on our entire conversation. Diane, thank you for joining me today. It was a pleasure to have you and I greatly enjoyed this conversation. Again, you can find Diane's full paper, Open Access, at the link in the description of this episode. And as I said earlier, you should read through the rest of a therapeutics and neuroscience issue while you're there. Thank you for listening to ClinFarm Pod. Be sure to check out past episodes while you're here. And remember to visit ASCPT.org for updated podcast releases, our latest webinars, and the most recent issue of all three journals.